where do we go from here? After an insurrection, after an impeachment, and after inauguration, where do we go from here? I found a prayer that really moved me, a short prayer that said, may we become the wind that diverts the oncoming storm. May we become the wind that diverts the oncoming storm. That means <laughs> the writer felt a storm was coming. I found that prayer in a book by Ched Myers called Binding the, the Strong Man. He's a great scholar of Mark's gospel, and I really appreciate his reading of the text. Friends, of course, all the gospels point to the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, but they each, just like CNN, MSNBC, Fox, PBS, maybe the BBC, they each also have their own point of view. When you read Mark's gospel, there's nothing here about the baby being born at Christmas time. Nothing at all. And in fact, his Mark, his gospel is the, is the oldest one. And I think it's marked by a sense of urgency. You hear it in the telling of the text. Immediately he called them, immediately they dropped their nets. If we're gonna understand what Mark is saying, we have to listen to his particular words. Even as a seminary student, I was taught every time you preach a gospel text, you should synthesize them and see what you find in the middle. But I find that to be a little bit <coughs> diluting of the message. So I wanna just tell you a little bit about Mark, just a little bit about Mark's point of view, if you will. Mark's gospel was written to help citizens of the empire learn the hard truth about their world and about themselves. Mark does not pretend to represent the gospel of God, as he calls it, dispassionately or impartially. In other words, he owns his point of view. And he doesn't pretend that the word of God is innocuously universal in its appeal to the rich and poor, the insiders and the outsiders. He has a specific thing to say to anybody who would hear, anybody who would follow Jesus. His story is about and for those committed to God's work, to God's work of justice, compassion, and liberation, God's work in the world, to those who are willing to risk the wrath of empire, those who are willing to take a stand. Mark offers a way of discipleship, a way of being tutored by Jesus a way of living in the world with fierce revolutionary love. Now, let me tell you, when I was in seminary also, I had to take classes on evangelism, we all did. And to hear the words, you're gonna go now and make disciples of all the nations. Though that is clearly in the Bible, clearly we're called to it as clergy. I was like, well, that's not what I wanna do. I had been probably like some of you evangelized by the folks at the door. I had been evangelized even by classmates in seminary. Are you saved, sanctified, and filled by the Holy Ghost? Are you born again? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you adopted those four laws? Remember those four laws from college, campus crusade for Christ? Like, God is here, you're a sinner, get it together, or you're going to hell. I'm paraphrasing, but right? 
I didn't want to be a person who made disciples of all the nations because the people who tried to make disciples of me had frankly hurt my feelings and made me feel left out, made me feel like I wasn't good enough to be a student of Jesus. I'm here to tell you that when Mark was writing this gospel, there, there weren't really Christians and not Christians. He was writing to anybody who would hear these words, hear the words, hear the story of Jesus of Nazareth, Yeshua, then Joseph, Joseph's son, Mary's baby, and be inspired to become people who stood up for the disenfranchised, who stood against empire, and who, and who stood for revolutionary love. So Mark's gospel is quite frankly, friends, not the good news of private salvation. In, in fact, none of the gospels are. But Mark almost dares you to read this good news as though the end game of faith is not to get your personal relationship on with Jesus Christ. Nope. It's not to avoid hell and damnation. Nope. And it's not so that when the world comes to an end, which Mark inevitably believed it would because of the cataclysmic kind of violence and oppression at work among the people against the people. Nope, his call is not for you to be ready when the end time comes, when violence and oppression and a fear have finally led to the last day of the kingdom of this world, of empired existence. He's not even remotely interested in you having your cash cashed in get out of the world free card and being parachuted out of the earth and into heaven. No, not at all. Mark's gospel is a call against empire. It's a call against oppression. It's a call against greed, a call against malice, a call against racial hierarchy and caste. It is a call to create the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the reign of God, which is in Greek, the Basileo, the Basileo Topheon, say that twice, the Basileo Topheon, the reign of God on earth against the reign of Herod, against the reign of the empire and for God's reign on earth, 14 times in Mark's gospel. The expression kingdom of God is used, and actually that's less than the other gospels. This call to make equality, this call to make justice, this call to make love a public ethic, this is what Mark is talking about. And it is a call to risk wrath of neighbor and scorn by rulers to join Jesus, to join the Christ, to join Rabbi Yeshua as he works to make kingdom on earth. Kingdom where first are last and last are first. Kingdom where children matter. Kingdom where the marginalized matter. Kingdom where women matter. Kingdom where Jesus will have an argument with a woman, a foreign woman, by the way, and let her win. Kingdom, where we give to God what is owed to God, which is everything. Kingdom, where those who are sick have health care, and those who are hungry have food, and they don't need to stand in line to get it. Kingdom, 
where social gospel isn't a dirty word and where people share what they have to make sure that those who don't have coat, clothes, food have something. Kingdom, where nonviolence is so deeply preached, we're told to turn our other cheek when someone wants to assail us and pray for our enemies. This kingdom of God is not for the wimp. It is not for the weak. It is not for the tepid. It is a radical call to radical discipleship, studentship, studying, radically rooted in love. At a gathering of Latinx folks at a Pueblo conference in the 70s, Pope John Paul II wrote a speech and said this to them, 1979. We find rereadings of the gospel that purport to depict Jesus as a political activist, as a fighter against Roman domination and the authorities, and even as someone involved in class struggle. We find this conception of Christ as a political figure, as a revolutionary, as the subversive from Nazareth. We find that this does not fall within the church's catechesis. What? And we wonder why people have whitewashed Jesus, cap capitalized Jesus, made him for the world and not against empire. During the Reagan administration, the rise of the political right went from private readings of faith, like me and God, me and Jesus, to political readings of faith that were anti-abortion, um, pro-militarism, um, for, for the zeal of the Lord in, in gain of prosperity and goodness and wellness. Now, we can see in the public square that there are two dominant narratives at work about who Jesus is and what he is and what he wants. What gospel is it? What is the good news? And who is it for? Now, public practice of faith means will we be on the side of the poor or will we be on the side of the uber rich? Will we be on the side of the vulnerable or will we be on the side of those who crush the vulnerable? Will we be on the side of interfaith, interreligious understanding that respects that God speaks more than one language? Or will we be for a kind of Christian hegemony that crushes Jews, crushes Muslims, and crushes anyone who would disagree with what empire believes is right? What is the good news? And who is it for? Mark starts his gospel sparsely. This is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He tells the story then of John the Baptist coming to the fore, a man who dresses in weird clothing and baptizes people for repentance and the forgiveness of sin. And when he does that, he's setting up the second part of the narrative, if you will, act two. And in act two, the one that John promises is gonna come with more power, the one who's gonna baptize not with water, but baptize with Holy Spirit. This one actually comes not in judgment, but in fulfillment, in fulfillment of the love and justice and peace that is promised in the reign of God. And Jesus calls those fishermen. He walks by the fishermen, two sets of brothers, doing their family business, not poor people, 
but not rich people. Peter and Andrew don't seem to own a boat, but they own nets. John and his brother do own boats and have servants. These working people are called by Jesus to put down their work, put down their vocation, and become fishers of people. I have never been fishing in my life. I don't know what that's like. But I want to say that this isn't about calling the fisher folks to the work of kingdom building. This is about calling you and I in our everyday vocation to be people who amplify, echo, share, spread out the good news of God's gospel to all the people everywhere. You and I are called to do this work in our everyday life because Jesus met the disciples right where they were in their everyday lives of sleeping, eating, drinking, getting up early, having some coffee or some tea or some chai, eating a little fish, eating a little bread, mending their nets, going out to fish, coming back, eating dinner, dealing with their children, dealing with their spouses and partners, dealing with their elders, dealing with the doctor's appointments, dealing with teaching their children how to read and write, dealing with how to raise citizens, good citizens in a crazy hot mess world, dealing with disease, dealing with homelessness, dealing with heartbreak, dealing with mental illness. The gospel of Mark is given to us from an ordinary person in an ordinary world, to ordinary people struggling with ordinary faith. And it's to those ordinary folks Jesus's call comes, just like it comes to ours. It comes to ours as a political calling. It comes to our world because the political is personal. It comes to enlist you and I in the drama, the drama that begins with God's love for all of us, that comes all the way down to rescue us from ourselves, to redeem our souls and the soul of our nations. It comes with John as a backdrop, arrested, murdered, Jesus stepping in. It comes calling all of us like those four brothers in our family life, in our regular life, to be students of the bold reign of God that is promised to us in scripture. A promise that only comes because we make it come, not because we wish it to be so. This leader, Jesus, gathers his troops, gathers the disciples, is gathering us to be in a campaign for revolutionary love. This subversive story, first, last, last, first, children in the center, marginalized become important, is our story in which to participate. We only go someplace from here because we do it together. Yes, Kamala's a badass. Yes, we're so glad Biden's in the White House. Yes. There are important conversations to be had in legislature. Yes, we must hold accountable those who, who, who would subvert democracy. And friends, you and I are the ones we've been waiting for. We're the ones God is calling to pick up our lives and to put down what distracts us and to make every day an act of revolution. Your staff has said yes to that calling. Your staff, Amanda, Ben, John, Dion, Jeff, Nathan, all 16 of us over there have said yes to this calling. 
they've said yes to the calling, not because they got tapped on the shoulder and went to seminary. That's, you know, that's me, Amanda, that's me, Amanda, Ben, and, and Daryl. We we did that, but but all of them, from the engineers to the ones who make make videos, to the ones who do the care and the calling, they all said yes. They all said yes to your call on their lives. They said yes to be subversive. They said yes to, to preach the gospel of good news in their everyday vocation. They said yes to lower pay than they might make in the world. They said yes to longer hours and less thank yous. They said yes to reframing and reclaiming Christianity because you asked them to, because I asked them to. They said yes to dismantling systems of oppression because our vision says, this is what we'll do. And they stand up to do it every day. They stand up to do it in invisible ways. They stand up to be light and love in a movement for love and justice that is happening across the nation and with your support happening at Middle Church. They know that every day they make choices to make the reign of God come. And friends, that's your calling too. You don't get paid to do it. But it is your volunteer vocation. I'm talking about the way you spend your money. I'm talking about the things you consume, the movies you watch, the television you watch, the news you decide to ingest, the things you model for your children, the words you use, the language you use, the text that you read and the ones you expose to them. The way you are with your family, the ones in your house, bless you, and the ones around the nation, the people with whom you Zoom, your job and mine is to evangelize them. Oh my goodness. Which is to say, to share with them the good news of the gospel of God. And that good news is when the reign of God comes near and it is near, there's a radical reordering of life so that suffering goes away, heartache goes away, pain goes away, derision, violence go away, racism, white supremacy, anti-indigenous, anti-Islamic, anti-Muslim sentiments go away. When the reign of God comes and it is near, it comes to make all of us whole and well and at peace. The good news is your news to share, to live out, to articulate every single day, not on Sunday, not in chat and chew, but it's a life calling. Where do we go from here? You and I are in this drama, this drama starring God's spirit, this drama starring revolutionary love in which love reorders our priorities and makes us Warriors for peace, warriors for hope, warriors for love. We are participating with Valerie Kaur and lots of the Auburn Senior Fellows in the People's Inauguration. And tomorrow night, I'll be in a conversation with my friends Valerie and Sharon Browse. Listen, we have been inaugurated, you and I, into a ministry program, into a campaign to make love everywhere and to use our love power to make God's world safe, whole, right, just, and peaceful.
The staff and I can't do it without you. I'm sorry. Neither can God. Our lives are meant to be lived in the polis, in the midst of people, and the place where the political and the spiritual meet. That's our work. That's our calling. That's our vocation. Will you say yes? May it be so.